Hey, welcome to Axe Church Podcast. If you're our first time listener with us, we are glad you're here. My name is Hunter Croft. I have David Robinson with me. Today we're in actually a new space for us to record this podcast. I was checking out the different rooms in the office and this one seems to have better acoustics. It's very exciting. So if you're new, you're hearing you have better acoustics. To yeah. <laughs> yeah. If, if you from before, if you, the acoustics are way better, just make sure you comment. Let us know. Right, right. Yeah. And if not, we tried. Yeah. We're hey, we're just we're just trying to improve every day, and that's all we can do. Um, so today we got some different stuff to get into, uh, but I wanted to start with um, yesterday. Hunter texted me uh, that our topic should be. What did you say that Valentine's Day is a scam perpetrated on us by Hallmark? Hallmark and, yeah. to sell cards. So it's Valentine's Day, the day we're recording this, 2019, February 14th, which I think is also Dave Vanderplug's birthday. Um, Dave is hopefully listening and uh, enjoying this. Oh, I know Dave listens. He's got to, right? All right. Um, so happy birthday to Dave Vanderplug and Brandy Ross, also from Axe Church. Is, oh, really? Yeah, it's her birthday today, too. Very mm-hmm. lovely. Um so is is uh, this is not going to be the main topic, but we'll take a couple minutes. Is Valentine's Day a scam perpetrated by the greeting card companies? I don't even really know the history of Valentine's Day, nor do I care. Um, but certainly there are certain days that greeting card companies and chocolate manufacturers and people who make little stuffed animals um, seem to profit by quite a bit. And people feel compelled, I guess, by tradition or whatever to participate in in those in those days, uh, I can tell you. I'll give you my rundown, and then you can. I'll, I'll ask you. For my wife and I, we don't care about Valentine's Day. <laughs> um, it doesn't. It's it doesn't register. It doesn't move the needle for us. Um, <laughs> it's not because we're not romantic. I am incredibly romantic. Um, but you've always got deeper. <laughs> I am romantic and slower. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So yes, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm romantic. My wife's romantic. There's, that's not the issue. It's just, we don't feel like we need special days set aside for those kinds of things. I mean, even like anniversaries and things like that, like they aren't, they aren't these huge events. I feel like there are people and no offense, but there are people who will spend most of their time not putting the amount of time, effort, and energy into the relationship that they should, and then sort of making up for it on like certain days, the person's mm-hmm. birthday, anniversary, Valentine's Day, you know, Mother's Day, whatever, uh, Father's Day. And it's like, oh, here's this big, you know, to do for that day. And that means that after that day for the next hour, Tomorrow, long, I can go I'm back gonna, to, <laughs> I'm going to be a turd, you know? And now I'm not saying that's how most people do it. Some people are nice every day and, you know, really celebrate these days. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not making any judgments about anybody, but for me, like we're, we're, you know, loving each other every day, you know, and, and consistently showing affection and, and, um, you know, I'll send Tiffany flowers. I remember I sent Tiffany flowers at, at school, you know, she's working at, at a school here in town. And I sent her flowers one week and then, and people were like, oh, you know, like, because I think they assumed maybe, you know, I was trying to make up for something bad I had because <laughs> it wasn't Valentine's Day or right. something similar. And then I, and then like the next week I sent her flowers again and then they were like sure that I had, you know, cheated on my wife and you know, beat her <laughs> up or did something, you know what I mean? Um, because it's sad, right? Because I was just like, hey, I'm randomly going to send some flowers because I love my wife and I think she'd appreciate it, brighten her day. And people's assumption was I had done something really bad, you know, abusive or, or adultery or whatever. Um, and that's kind of a bummer that that's the way people think about it. But I guess when the only okay days to, it's like, oh, is it your anniversary? No. Is it your birthday? No. Well, it's not Valentine's Day. So, you know, what did your husband do? Right. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> dude, come on, man. And I'm sure lots of people send their, their wives flowers or, or their husbands. What do you send your husband? Not flowers. Probably. I don't know. What, what, what would I why, want? Why is there not something equal that people send their husbands? Like, I don't know. Taylor was saying, she's like, I'm going to send you flowers. Sometimes I'm like, I don't, no offense, what do you want me to do with I don't those? Want <laughs> yeah, I go if I want to see flowers, I'll go outside. Like there's flowers out there. I don't know what I would. Let's think of something. We can start a new tradition. What would you send your husband? Oh, you know what Taylor sent me on Valentine's one day when I was in college? What a pizza, a pizza. Like because she yeah. she just called like she was living over here and I was living in Boise, so she mm-hmm. just called a 
Domino's or something. I think it was and pizza. Sent you a Domino's pizza. Yeah. Well, a that's a lot cheaper than flowers. Um, getting buying flowers is super expensive. Well, she bought um, me fifteen pizzas. Oh, I'm wow. Just no, I'm just kidding. That's, <laughs> see, the problem is my wife's not going to buy me a pizza because that's going to make me even larger than I am. And that's less <laughs> romantic. But I, I mean, honestly, what could you send a husband? That would be something that would be similar to not now. Not all women like flowers either. There's lots of women who don't like flowers um, and would prefer something else. You, you know, you send a card or you send. Sometimes, like the flower shops have other stuff besides flowers that you can send to. I mean, you have to pick something that that somebody regularly delivers to a place of business. You know, you can do right. like the candy gram or like what are the people who come and sing for you or whatever. Barbershop quartet. There you go. Send a barbershop quartet. Tiffany, send a barbershop <laughs> quartet. <laughs> To do a rendition of a Pearl Jam song uh, for me here at the office, and we'll call it good for Valentine's Day. Um, no, I don't know. Uh, I, I, sending people stuff at work is, I think, a, a nice gesture. I think gift giving, especially if that happens to be your love language or or whatever, um, would be you know mm-hmm. people really respond. Which it to is that. my wife, and some people do not. Some people are like, it's not my love language. Right. You know, my wife would. I could send her all the flowers in the world, but if I'll just take the trash out, she's much more happy about that. Right. Which is much less expensive than flowers, so it works out pretty well for us. It um, depends on how that process goes. Though. It can, it can be costly. True. That's true. <laughs> um, the point is, yes, I think the Valentine's Day is largely something that we have invented culturally and created a tradition around that makes people feel compelled to spend a lot of money. And for those uh, who do not have much romance in their relationships, and this is one of the only times that they get it, I'm a bummed out for that relationship, but mm-hmm. I'm glad that they at least have Valentine's Day. I'm going to get emails, aren't I? People are going to be like, I can't believe I love Valentine's Day, and I can't believe that you would say this. It's the most important day. Yeah, I hope um, you do. I hope you- yeah. Hope you get lots of backlash. So my email address is Hunter. No, it's Croft. Yeah. If you want to uh Why in, is why is that upset. my email? I, because we already do we already have a hunter? Yeah. yeah or something. Or like I realized that no, there was on staff. He was just in the church. Or you mean he is still Yeah, in the there was church. another hunter in the church. He wasn't he's not on staff. Um maybe I figured that because we already had a second hunter, there were going to be lots of hunters around. I don't know. <laughs> We've got two. We've got to have at least there, there probably wasn't more. an intense thought process <laughs> that went into giving you Croft at X Camp. That's right. where everyone else has. I think you're just kind of like. Eh, I do have in. multiple people with with the same name. We have like 14 Davids at right. the church, and many of whom are either elders or you know whatever. So I have different have to do Types different things for them, mm-hmm. and I have multiple Susans. Uh, right. Know, we have Susan Carlson. We have Susan Vanderplug. We have Susan Korenkov. We got Susans, you know, everywhere. People who don't go to Axe Church who listen to this are like, well, we don't care the names of the people who go to your church. <laughs> I'm just saying I have to come up with an email address for people, and that's I came up with Croft, which is your last name. It's not that complicated. Yeah, at least it's not like I'm sure people Jim. called you Croft when you played sports or whatever, right? Just my coach. Well, yeah. Just my just my cross-country coach. Get over here, Croft. Come on. Get some yeah. more water for the team. And it's always kind of like... Why do you call me that? He's like, I don't know. It's just tradition. <laughs> like I was the only one he called by the last you, name. <laughs> you can't you can't question traditions. Yeah. See, your coach is probably like, oh, they figured us out and like ran away. Right, you right. know, whatever. Um, okay, so that was fun. Valentine's Day. I'm we're I'm half kidding. I, I hope that you guys enjoy your Valentine's Day and that uh, yeah. I got a, a Taco Bell gift card for Valentine's Day. Oh, nice. That does show care, affection, and class, most of all. Yes. So that's that's good. Um, Very classy establishment. Is that, is that where you're taking Taylor tonight, is to Taco Bell? Uh, no. We don't have any plans tonight. We, oh. we had our plans yesterday. Yeah, you went to the Blazer game. Blazers defeated the uh, Warriors. What was Who were number one in the West. Yeah. What was the score? It was a, ended up 129 to 107. Spoiler alert. 129 that's a, to 107. That's a, that's a big scoring game. I mean, it would be fun to watch. It was five points difference with four minutes left, mm-hmm. and they just stopped scoring after that. Mm. It was 103 to 108, I guess, uh, with like four minutes left in the game. And then... Blazers uh, just went unanswered. Well, yeah. Uh, Draymond Green got a technical. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, no, he got a. It was a. It was a shooting foul. We've just lost like seventy percent uh, of the sports, audience. Sports, 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 yeah. sports. Anyway, we got like a bunch of free throws in a row. The coach got ejected, and it was just you could tell they didn't care after that. Mm-hmm. They just completely gave given up. They're 
morale was crushed and it was really awkward because there were a lot of warrior fans in the stadium mm-hmm. there was a lot it was there's always going to be a lot of front runners around right? right i know it's like oregon ducks fans and i don't care if you're offended this i was going to say no offense i'm like <laughs> no you can be offended well if they're in oregon if you're from washington uh, if you're in oregon you should be an oregon ducks fan or an oregon state beavers fan no problem but if you're in washington and you chose to start supporting the oregon ducks because they were good for a while instead of supporting your state schools like the Washington Huskies or if you have to the Washington State Cougars um, you know then I you know I'm a little upset about that I don't like driving around here in Washington and seeing cars with big O's on the back I always I always say to myself they better have gone to school there or yeah. maybe it's just an Oakley sticker. Or they grew up there. That's true. It does Oakley like stickers Oakley look sticker, the exact same. Which I'm fine with that. Anyway, we don't have as, as much of a rivalry as we once did. All right, let's get into this. So we have some questions that we're going to walk through. Uh, we had we had done a podcast. I don't know. Um, Hunter says it was almost a year ago. I don't remember how long ago it was. If you really want to check, you can find out. I'm doing that right now. Um, and it was, you know, we had a bunch of questions and we were just walking through some questions. And so I've got, so we did, we lost those questions. We had a, we had several left and I say we lost, but somebody lost those questions. Somebody in this room that wasn't me. Um, it and, was. and so we don't have those questions, but I have some other questions that are similar and I thought we'd walk through some of them. It'd be a, um, just an opportunity to kind of think through some things. I know that these, these are the kinds of questions probably that either as believers you think about from time to time or uh, your your friends who are who are thinking about or engaging with uh, the Christian worldview or the Christian faith might ask you and so um, it's good to have you know thought through some of these things and so I'm just gonna I'm going kind of through a list I'm just gonna pick some out that I think would be interesting and, and we'll talk about it uh, the first one I see is uh, is it wrong to question God is it wrong to question God? I'm going to let Hunter take the first crack at this. Okay. Um, I think we have to define what is what does it mean to question God? Well, let's just take it in its most broad sense. Is it wrong to ask God questions? Oh. I mean, other than like, God, will you, you know, heal right, me or something right, like right, that? Right, like, right. is it wrong to question God's actions? Like, hey, this, this doesn't make sense to me type of yeah, thing. Yeah, like if I would say, well, why are you questioning me? You Rarely are you talking about asking me to pass you the right. butter, right? <laughs> why are you, um, right? So we're talking about questioning God. Okay, okay. Um, I would say simply no, um, but I think some of the spirit behind it can kind of, I think I think there can be a, a way that you question, just like you can question a person unfairly, you can question God unfairly. Um, I think that there's, you can use questioning as a way of, um, berating or, um, belittling a person. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, you'd probably know about that as a, as a lawyer. (laughs) Nothing. I've never done that. I don't know anybody who does. Um, I think that questioning can be done from a place of, uh, anger. And I think that there's, especially like, like, why did you make this tragedy happen in my life? I think that there's a place God can handle our anger um, in the face of tragedy and things like that, um, or whatever you're going through. Um, but I think that there can be a place where it's not, it's it's not because of um, something that's happened in your life that you're questioning God, uh, but just because you just want to. Um, belittle people who believe in God, I guess. I think that is where it can be wrong. But otherwise, I would say um, God's big enough for your questions. And if he's not, then he's not worth following, you know? Yeah, I I think it depends. If we're talking about questions like, help me to understand this or that, that's one thing. And if we're talking about questions like, who are you to God to do such and such? Now, there's that's got a heart that's a very different in a very different place. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm looking at Psalm 13 here, and it starts with several questions. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How mm-hmm. long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider me. Oh Lord, my God, and he goes on and on, saying, "Look, this bad things are going to happen to me if you don't help me out." But he's, but then, of course, the psalmist comes with, "But I have trusted in your mercy, mm-hmm. but my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because He has dealt bountifully with me." So, you have this process that's going on in the psalmist from, "How long, God?" Like, I'll, obviously, the psalmist is not happy 
mm-hmm. with the amount of time that it's taken. So is questioning God about, about look, it, I am in pain. I am going through things. This is very difficult. Why are you taking so long? Um, right. Which is definitely questioning God, questioning God's methods, questioning God's way of doing things. But at the end, coming back to, but I recognize this is about me and not you. Right. And saying, I trust you. And saying, I trust you. Recognize, I, all I want you to know is that me, in, who's in relationship with you, right. I want you. I want to just be expressing and, and, and my feelings and, and where I am mm-hmm. and kind of laying that on you. But I'm trusting that there's a reason for this, right? right? So if your attitude is, I trust you, Lord, but I question, I, I, I want you to know my feelings are... I'm I'm hurting here. I'm I'm, mm-hmm. I'm whatever. That I think that heart is okay. Um, then you have questions like Job asks, which I think are not as okay. Where you're basically saying, "Look, God, I'm I am perfect, and you, I haven't done anything wrong, and you've allowed all these things to happen to me. Answer for yourself." It's whether you're questioning from a place of humility or a place of arrogance. Right. Um, if you're saying, look, God, I, you know, I, I want there to be judgment between you and me. It's like, well, first of all, who's going to judge between you and God? Only, you know, you and I, we could say, let God judge between us. But right. between Job and God, who's going who's gonna to be the, the uh-huh. judge of that, right? And so Job's kind of like, you know, I am righteous. Bad things have happened to me. You give me a good answer for why bad things are happening. And it's true that Job was blameless. Um, in other words, whatever whatever sins he had done and so on had been atoned for and and, and so on, um, or had you know he'd done what he was supposed to do as far as sacrifices and all the rest of that. And so he's sitting there with nothing on his record sheet, and, and we know that that's true. Mm-hmm. And so, but of course, he has some sort of karmic or karma based uh, mentality about the way things are supposed to work, where he's saying, "I did, I've done all these good things. These bad things have happened to me. Now you have to answer for yourself." Why I can do good things and have bad things happen, which is a question that many questioners have asked of God, right? Yeah, yeah. Why why are bad things happening to a good person? Right. Um, and of course, God kind of comes back with, "Oh, um, Job, do you did you create the world? Can you make a tree? Can you do you do you know what the what the creatures in the deep? How, can you make them? Do you know? Do you feed them? Do you know? I mean, basically, I'm God, right?" And I understand things at a level that is so far beyond you that your question of me about the way this this works is not the right attitude. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't think that that means that God doesn't want Job to understand um, the answer to his question. I think that that's, that's putting Job back. I think that's just putting the universe back where it belongs, which is Job, you're Job and I'm God. Yeah. And so... He was humbling Job. Yeah. So questions that, that try to to raise us to a place where we can call God to account. Those are, those are mistaken because we are not knowledge wise and wisdom wise on the same plane with God. Our, our thoughts are so much lower than his thoughts that to put ourselves in a situation to call, call God to account when he can see everything that's ever going to happen. And we can, so he knows like, so if we're doing, if we're doing ethics, right? All right. We're thinking about what's right and wrong. We're doing some kind of a calculus. We're saying, okay, um, how do I know if doing, you know, this thing, I, you know, I want to take a new job. All right, whatever. Uh, how do I know? God, God has not been clear in saying yes or saying no. Okay, I'm trying to figure it out. We're trying to figure, is it the right thing to do? Is it what God wants? You start doing some calculus, right? Like, well, does it seem to be uh, consistent with God's will? Does it seem, do, do the thing, are the things that are going to happen if I do it going to be generally good, generally bad? You know, you're going through this, this process and the problem with us going through that process is we cannot see the future. Mm-hmm. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what the long term, you know, end is. And so, and so we can look at our own heart and make sure that that's right. But we can't, we can't base something based on, you know, knowing all the, all the factors, all the people where it's all, but God can, he can see everything and, and, and know that Job, while Job suffered, that he was taken care of his, his family and those who died eternally. And that Job would even, even on this earth was going to be restored, um, to, to joy and to all those kinds of things. He can know all that while Job knows none of that. So as Job's sitting here saying, why, 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 you know, we answer for yourself. God's thinking, I don't, first of all, I don't answer to you. Mm -hmm. 
you know, it's not, not, I don't answer to you like with an attitude. I don't answer to you because it's not right or good that I should. Mm. That's not, that's not the role that I'm in and the role that you're in. That's not us understanding ourselves well. And so understand who you are and understand who I am and then, and then walking through that. So, uh, we were, you and I were just talking about, uh, John and Peter at the end of the book of John, where Peter's saying, what about John? What about him? God, you know, is, is he going to, does he get to stay alive until you come back? And, uh, you know, essentially Jesus is saying, look, what is it to you? whether John gets to remain alive till I come back or not, you follow me. Like, here's your role. Here's what you are supposed to be thinking about. You follow me and don't worry about John. And, and John goes on to say, he wasn't saying that John would stay alive until he came back. He was just saying that it's none of Peter's business. Right. So there are questions that are outside of our business. God, what... How come I'm suffering and I'm trying to do what's right and I'm tithing and I'm and I'm going to church and I'm giving extra money and I'm I'm helping the Philippines ministry or the Honduras ministry and I'm and I'm setting up chairs for church on Sunday I'm doing these things and whatever and my you know uh, husband is sick or my or or my mother passed away or or whatever happened I'm doing these things I'm following you and these things happen then I look across the street and I see this guy over there who's who's cheating on his wife cheating on his taxes uh, stealing from his boss. Uh, you know, whatever, just doing all this stuff. And he just bought a new car and a new house. And a, what, why is it that he, and, we'll, and we see the same kind of questions in the Psalms where it's like, why do the wicked prosper while I, me, who's doing the right thing, am, am in pain, right? And I think that God's answer to that question is, there's two parts to it. The first part though is, mind your own business. Mm-hmm. Why are you worrying about this person? My, my you know, creature that I created, this human being that I created over here that is responsible to me. Why are you worried about that? What is that to you? You follow me and trust me that I'm going to take care of you. And the second answer is the wicked don't have long. Uh, you know, they may, they may make hay while the sun shines, but the night is coming for them. And so while you may envy the fact that they've got the new car, they've got the whatever, you don't know what's in store for them if they don't turn. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, from their, from their wicked ways. Right. And, and so, but, but primarily it's none of your business. And so I think in the, in, I mean, kind of a long answer to this question, but um, there's a, a good one. it depends on what you're asking and how you're asking and what your heart is. There now, are some things that just aren't your business. You've answered for the believer, whether or not it's okay for them to question how it's okay to question. Mm-hmm. What about for the unbeliever is, is there, let's talk about what unbeliever you're talking about. Because there's the unbeliever who is genuinely questioning. So like like the atheist or agnostic or like I believe in God, but I'm not sure if Jesus Christ is his son and rose from the dead. Which which kind of unbeliever? Because they'd be in different places. An atheist questioning God would be sort of strange because they don't believe there is a God. Right. Uh, so I guess they wouldn't necessarily be questioning God. They'd be questioning the Bible and other other Christians. I think that you have an obligation and a duty as a Christian or an unbeliever to ask good questions right. and and have good answers for all of those things. Does okay. God exist? Is he good? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why is the why is the scripture hard to understand or or why do these things happen that seemed unjust to me or in my mindset have have these issues? All of those questions are questions that ought to be asked by everyone, not just by the unbeliever, but by the believer, uh, by anyone. God's given us a mind to think. So no, I think that those not only are those okay questions to ask, they're necessary questions to ask. However, I would say this, be careful that in asking questions, you don't pass from legitimate questions that you want answers to, to ridiculing God or believers or whatever, based on the fact that you haven't yet heard answers that satisfy you. Mm -hmm. Um, There are, there are lots of things that I disagree with or have never heard satisfactory answers to. And my, my response is not usually to ridicule. Now, if we're talking about, uh, you know, somebody's trying to tell me that the tooth fairy exists or something at some point, I might you know, move into ridicule, um, mm-hmm. being that there is zero evidence of a tooth. Fairy. I mean, you know, I did get a quarter. I don't know what you got. I got a quarter. I got thousands of dollars. Yeah, I'm sure by your age, you're giving out dollars. Probably did. It's inflation. My kids, my kids got more money too for their teeth, but I didn't get much for my teeth. Um, 
if I would have put it in reasonable interest, I'm sure by now there'd right. be something. But right. um, you know, there's not a tooth fairy. If that's new news to you, um, listener, I'm sorry to have burst the bubble on that. Um, that four year old who really likes our podcast is right. Like, what? What? I better still get that dollar. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, the the fact is is that there are some beliefs that probably don't warrant a lot of uh, intellectual respect. And yet I still ridiculing people is ridiculing people. So yes, ask your questions, ask them respectfully, walk through them and listen to the to the responses that are given wh- wherever they're coming from. And then use the mind that God has given you learn how to think well, and, uh, and get answers to those questions. But yeah, I don't have any problem with that. Cool. All right, let's go to another uh, question. Does God have a sense of humor? No. <laughs> Does God have a sense of humor? What a great question. Don't be ridiculous. He's God. Yeah. He's so serious all the time, right? Because he's God. He's just got like the, just standing up there ready to zap people who right. do anything wrong. Right. Um, I'd say this. If uh, Here's a few questions and we'll just, we'll role play this out. You can be the, the questioner. Does God have a sense of humor? Um, do you have a sense of humor? No, I've been told not. <laughs> uh, do people have senses of humor? Yes. Yes. Right? Um, do we generally think that a sense of humor is a good and positive thing? Yeah. Um, is there any good and positive thing that that God would have put into us that was not part of his own image and likeness? I don't think so. No, I don't think so either. So I think that the answer is clear that humor, um, the ability to to enjoy and have joy and laugh continuously in Scripture, I think would be referred to as good, righteous, godly, and so on. Now, there's bad humor. Right. Everything can be perverted. Right. Um, but humor itself, the, the, the capacity to have mirth, you know, joy, laughter, um, think things that are funny and so on. I think that comes directly from the, from the nature of God. And you can see it in well, scripture. And, and built into humor is a connection with other human beings. It wouldn't be funny if, if you were the only human things would be, there'd be a lot less funny things. In there'd be my, 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 uh, a lot fewer funny things, but I think you would even then. Right. Yeah. Like, because God would still like, like, if you're a caveman who lives alone and you're like, right. oh, but look at that cow right. dancing in circles. That's funny. Right. Yeah. So I guess, yeah, humor is not dependent on right. other people. Yeah. But it'd be a lot funnier if you had your buddy, Caveman sure. Joe, laughing at the humor cow Humor is definitely increased when you increase numbers. That's why, like, you go watch a comedian or something, and you will, if you're watching a comedian on television, you're likely to laugh out loud substantially less than if you go watch a comedian live. Right. Because the people around you are also laughing, which makes it funny. Yeah, there's a lot that has to, there's a lot about relationship and community that has to do with humor. Mm -hmm. But I think when you're alone, you're never really alone because the Lord is with you. And so uh, I think you'd still be able to, to have those, those times. No, I'm I'm curious why you think, and I kind of have an answer, but I'm just curious what you would say. um, Why people get the idea that God does not have humor. And I guess the question I'm really asking is why is there not a whole lot of humor in our Bible? I think there is. I think there's some very funny stuff in the Bible. Um, yeah. if, if you, first of all, remember that you are reading a translation mm-hmm. and you are outside while the Bible is, is relevant and, and speaks to all people at all times and all places. Some of what's in there right. was written in an original language and in an original cultural context where you may not see the humor without doing more study because right. you just see the words there in English and with no recognition of, say, Jewish culture or, or Near Eastern culture uh, in the ancient world. And it might be like, that doesn't seem that funny. Right. But like the story of um, um, the bear mauling the kids that, that, uh, yeah. Made fun of, who was it? Elijah. Oh uh, yeah, Eli- Elisha. Elisha. Um, not that's totally funny. I mean, I think that's today it's, it's pretty funny. <laughs> um, but I, I almost wonder, like maybe, like if you were look when Elijah is sitting there and the, and the prophets of Baal are there. You know, if you remember the story, basically mm, yeah. he's like, let's let's have a test, let's have a contest. You're saying Baal is God. I'm saying that Jehovah, the one true God, is God. So we're gonna we're gonna make these. Uh, uh, sacrifices, and then we're going to ask God to bring the fire, right? Mm-hmm. And they're dancing around and cutting themselves and calling on Baal and whatever. And he's like, "Where's, where's God? Where's Baal? Is he on the toilet? 
Oh right? yeah, yeah. I mean yeah. that's funny. Yeah, that's funny yeah. stuff right there, uh-huh. right? Um, and that's scripture, and that's it. When uh, there's a, like there's that's another very clearly one. a joke. Yeah, very obviously, yeah. Right. He's he's he's. It's in it's the not sense just situational of, irony. It's, it's in the sense of ridicule, right. uh, you know. But right. but it certainly is a joke, and there's plenty of that. I was thinking another another one that I'm not going to bring up because it's not really podcast. But some of the stuff in the Bible isn't really podcast friendly, to be honest with right. you. Yeah. Um, depending on the audience and their maturity level to understand it. But Paul makes a joke about circumcision um, and those who and those who think too highly of it. That's actually really funny. Um, I don't know if I know that one. Yeah, I'll tell you afterwards. Um, <laughs> but there's plenty of humor in the Bible, and I. I think, but I think the reason that people think that is because, frankly, people who have been Christ followers or people who have been um, in positions of authority sometimes have taken themselves too seriously. Right. And they, and if they're the representative of God to the to somebody, and they're thinking, oh, the priest or the pastor or the whatever, or, you know, that that's what God's like, and they take themselves far too seriously. Right. Then I could see somebody thinking, well, God must be a super serious, you know, he must be super serious, and he's just sitting up there thinking about all he thinks about is like people's sin and how bad. When it's like, no, God. God made the world. He made stuff. He made his relationship. I, I, I have, I talk with God. I, I live my life in the presence of God. Funny stuff, sad stuff, all of it. And, and he's taking part in all of that mm. with me. He is not primarily sitting there thinking about when you did something bad. That's just not the way it works. And of course, if, if you've gotten forgiveness for that, he doesn't think about it at all. In fact, it doesn't come into his mind. Right. I think we also mistake reverence for a lack of humor. Like I think... Right. When we like, okay, I need to be reverent right now. So no jokes, right? No, don't. And there is no a time. Smirking. There is a time for reverence, right? Right. When I so take take my my legal practice when I'm in the courtroom, which I really don't do these days, um, but um, if I'm sitting there and I'm coming into a courtroom in the morning, and the judge comes up, it's you know all rise, and then you basically say a prayer, you know, um, and and then the judge sits down and, and good morning, your honor and whatever. I don't start out with, you know, Hey, good morning, your honor. Have you heard the one about, right? Because it's, there's a, there's a level of seriousness. Now I will say this, I have been in court, um, in criminal court, like serious stuff, like these are major felonies and, and whatever, and gone up and, and started with, you know, of course, you know, the judges, right? So it's not like, Right. Like outside of court, you've joked with them plenty or whatever. But, I'm, you know, I go through my thing and it's all very whatever. But then before I leave, the judge himself might might poke me with something. I might poke back a little bit and we might laugh and the courtroom might laugh and like would lighten the mood. I generally would let the judge be initiate. the one to initiate that. Right. And that and then basically giving permission for us to have a moment of levity in what is otherwise a very serious day of court. And so um, even even in those situations where the place and the manner and whatever demand respect, that there still can be humor. And I think God is the same way. I think I think that we will if if, when we are in his presence, when all Mm -hmm. things are made new, my guess is there's going to be a lot of laughing, right? Like, and and there's probably going to be like, oh, look at so and so, you know, why are you being so serious, you know, Ted? It's like, you know, whatever. I, I mean, I really think that's going to happen. At the same time, there will be there will be reverence like you've never seen reverence, true reverence, the kind that isn't based in some sort of like ugly kind of fear, but rather based in reverence, awesomeness, you know, that kind of thing. It's going to be amazing because God is funny. Right. And he does have a sense of humor. And there's a reason why you have a sense of humor, because God does. No, remember, I don't. That's true. You don't. You don't. Um, All right. We good with that one? Should we go to another one? Um, Sure, what you got? Is God slash the Bible sexist? Now, let me start with one thing. The Bible can't be, isn't a person. So the Bible can't have attitudes and so on. Now, it can express um, attitudes, but those would be God's attitudes if they were so I think we just go with, is God sexist? Um, which, yeah. you know, there's a couple other questions. One, is God male or female? That's on here too. Um, is God, the Bible, et cetera, sexist? Um, I'll let you take that, Hunter. Oh, thanks. That's croft at axcamus.org. Right. Uh, no. Simple answer. Good. Let's move on. All right. All right. Um, and... <sighs> I don't know if I want to. Do I want to start by just addressing um, why people think that? Um, 
Well, we were talking about this, I think, uh, well, yeah, we were talking about it before the, the podcast. We were talking about a different question that we decided against answering. But um, we we see in our modern society, um, there's a big push for gender equality. Um, and the Bible clearly does not show, uh, like, there's, like, no female priests, things like that. Um, so God has um, set up a role for males and females that are different. And that's, I think, where the assumption that the Bible is sexist comes from or that God is sexist comes from. Think I'm right in that? I think that people think that God is sexist because people who people have been very sexist in the name of God. Yes. I mean, I think that that's, it's as simple as people who have claimed to know the Bible and be the holders of biblical truth have been very, very sexist. And have used the Bible to um, fortify their sexist standings. Correct. And we see it even, we see it, let's, let's take some, some examples that are, that are primary that we have in the New Testament. We can talk about the Old Testament in a second, but you have the Pharisees, who Jesus is constantly pushing back against, mm-hmm. who would have said prayers like, thank you, God, that I'm not a Gentile or a woman, mm-hmm. um, which is just insanity um, right. to, to pray such a thing. Um, to suggest, First of all, to suggest that half of the people that God created were somehow so so low on the on the value scale that you're thanking God that you weren't made as a woman that is a misunderstanding of God and his creation and who we are as human beings at a fundamental level which again so much of 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 what God had to say they under, misunderstood at a fundamental level that's why God calls them some really bad things and tells them essentially that their father is Satan right. not God um, and and I think that if if those are the kinds of things that you think that men are more valuable than females and so on, sexist things, that is not coming from God. There's only right. one place that comes from. Um, and so, yes, I, I do agree that people have used, you said to fortify, yeah, um, to push, to fortify, to, uh, they've anchored their sexist beliefs in scripture uh, by misquoting and misunderstanding scripture. The truth is, is that scripture is full of powerful, um, heroic females right. um, from the Old Testament forward, right? We have we have examples, uh, you know, Ruth and Esther. I mean, you you've got Deborah. Rahab and Deborah. You've got people who who did amazing things of faith and and were amazingly used of God. Who are female, just like you have been. In fact, if you want to look through the mistakes made. You know, like all this, the sin that people did. I see a lot more men with like major sin problems right. than I do of the heroic women in the Old Testament. Um, then we have the the clear value that Jesus placed on females. Um, mm. We have we have women who are the first uh, witnesses of the resurrection. We have women who are constantly thanked and and made much of in Paul's letters. We uh, there's no question. And so, just in case there's any any. Uh, Misunderstandings. Let me just say this clearly. There is no value distinction between men and women in Scripture. Zero. Right. There is not a value distinction. And, 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 the, and then there's the question here, is God male or female? I think that's an important aspect to this because we, because Jesus, of course, the incarnate, God incarnate, was male. Mm-hmm. But everything that God created in Adam and Eve was from God, made in his image and likeness. Male and female, he created them. There is nothing about female. You want to talk about plumbing, right? Uh, you know, your your organs. Obviously, males and females uh, are, are made bodily differently and complementary. God mm-hmm. doesn't doesn't have a complementary body that he needs to have. So the male-female thing isn't, it doesn't have that kind of an importance for God. Right. Um, it, God is not... All man and women and, and woman is some other thing. No, everything that is female, everything that is good and holy and whatever about males and about females comes from God. Right. There is no going back and forth about is God a man or a female, male or a female is missing is missing a, a, a really important thing, and that is that God is not in a complementary sexual uh, 
relationship to any other being in the universe. And so there is no need plumbing wise for God to, to be either male or female. God, you know, wisdom is personified as a female in the Bible. We were talking about this earlier. Mm -hmm. Um, God uses both male and female, um, uh, similes and metaphors to, to represent himself and who he is to us. Right. Um, both, both mother and father, uh, both male and female in the way that he relates to us. It's clear that everything that there is about being a female is found in its, in its fullness in God. Everything there's about being a male is found in its fullness in God. And there is neither male nor female in the sense of value in the kingdom of God. It does not exist. And so no, Scripture is not sexist. There are descriptive, let me be very clear, there are descriptive sections of Scripture where, where it's simply describing what happened, where there are people who did sexist things, even people who were godly, quote unquote, people, right. um, but godly people like, say, King David, who was a man after God's own heart, also committed adultery and murder. Right. We don't, just because he did something doesn't mean it was God's heart. And so, yeah, there's lots of sexist stuff. There's lots of, there's racial problems, there's sexual problems. There's, these people were human beings with all kinds of failures. God was not putting the imprimatur of his will on everything that everyone did in the Bible by any, and in fact, a lot of it is to show us where their hearts were and how far their hearts were, which shows the redemptive power of Jesus Christ on the cross and, and the, and the importance of the resurrection. And so, yes, there are things in the Bible that are describing sexist actions. Um, yes, there are people who have used that to justify being sexist, to oppress women, um, to oppress other races, to oppress. I mean, there's all kinds of oppression that, that people have tried to baptize with scripture, but it is not there. And that's why all the great movements against oppression, whether that's oppression against women or that's a, a racial oppression, whatever it happens to be, those great movements are uh, are with almost without fail started and pushed forward by believers because of the fact that God and scripture do not allow for that. Mm-hmm. Anything else you want to add there? Um, I will. You said that there are instances in the Bible where sexism was occurring. Not that the Bible is is promoting sexism, um, and that's what people use. I think that there are instances in the Bible where it is something that God is 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 um, where it's not a a flaw that people are exploiting to promote. Sexism. I think that there are some um, right things in scripture that people mistakenly exploit to promote sexism. Things like, um, well, Eve uh, took the first bite of the apple. Things like that that people Probably say. Probably wasn't an apple. You know. I mean, think fruit. about this for a second. Let's, let's deal with the apple. <laughs> if there was a fruit, I'm just, let's just, if there was a fruit that looked so good. Right. And it was like, looking, that was going to taste so good. Would it be an apple? No, like the no. worst fruit? Like basically garbage? What? Come on, man. Apples? Apples? Yeah. I, I mean, Fuji's, they're all right. But it is very rare that I would look at an apple and be like, mm, I got to have that. I'm sure. There's a thousand fruits that are better than an apple. Yeah, yeah. And it's, I'm sure before domestication and... and yeah, uh, I, right. The fruits in their perfect, whatever. But all fruits in their perfect state. Apple is not going to be the one that's tempting. Right, right. Like, no one is going to ruin... Their their relationship with God over an apple, over an apple, yeah, right? Yeah. Okay, so let's just get that away. So Eve eats an apple, and people use that to to, to justify. Oh well, that's why men should rule over women because women were the ones who ruined this for us, you know. And it's like, no, you're missing it. Yeah, that is a bad piece of theology. Um, however, and you're and you're tempting me into waters that are going to get me emails, but um, there is an aspect to who we are as men and women, and even an aspect to how all that went down, mm-hmm. that that are indicative of, of the, the compl- roles, complementary roles, complementary roles that okay. men and women have, and so uh, and and so for instance, men have a tendency. None, none of this is across the board, right? Okay, right, right. But men have a tendency to fail in certain areas. Right. Women have a tendency to fail in certain areas. Sorry, men and women, but you do. You have tendencies that 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 appear to be connected by every scientific method that I can use to be connected to the fact that you are male or female. Um, that you that there are just things that that kind of across the board. Um, sort of like women 
can have children and men cannot. And that very much appears to be affected, but to be connected to their gender, right? Yeah. Um, well, you were saying before that it wasn't across the board, the, the failures. That it, the failures are not across the board. So I there's think, physical things that are across the board. Right. The, the birthing thing, I think, is across it's the across board. It's across the board. <laughs> the failures are not across the board, although they tend to... to I think they, there are certain things, certain personality traits, certain things about being a woman or being a man that are across the board. Okay. Um, that I think that there are. To, to, to get me to identify those things, I would have to do some really deep thinking right. that I haven't done yet on that specific question. Although there are some things that I just, I do understand. And I've been married for, this is my 20th year of marriage, be my 20th anniversary in December. And so both Tiffany and I have, have learned some things about men and women just in spending this much time with a, with a person that is the opposite sex of, of ourselves. And so um, there's there's a lot there. I would say that there are things about men and things about women that have that have in this world have have created certain kinds of roles. And those roles have been turned into quote unquote positions. And yeah. the word position suggests a positional structure which rarely is talking about left and right and usually is talking about up and down. And what I mean by that is when people talk about the position that I should have as a man or the position that I should have as a woman, usually those relate to one another in an up and down ladder sense, men being higher than women. Mm -hmm. That is absolutely man unequivocally man-made and not biblical. Right. Um, we are not positionally... We, we are not positionally related, related to one another as human beings. We are not positionally related to one another. This is, this is huge for you. If you don't know this or you don't understand this about scripture, human beings are not related to one another positionally. I don't care who you are listening to this, how much money you have, whether you're the CEO of the biggest country in the world or of the biggest company in the world, or you're the president of the United States, if, if, if he's listening. Um, <laughs> Or she, I don't know when they'll be listening to this. It's going to be years later. Right. Um, look, you are not higher than anybody else. I don't care what role you are currently in. You are not positionally, value positionally higher than anyone else. That is, that is, could not be more clear. Male and female, he created them, mm -hmm. period. Not male over female, he created them. Nothing like that. In fact, Adam recognizing Eve as, as his helpmate and and his partner and her recognizing him as her helpmate and her partner and the the song that he sings there in Genesis 2 um, you know this is bone of my bone flesh of my flesh the complementary na nature of men and women as if there was a positionality in that it would not have been a joyous moment and in fact it would not have been in perfection in the garden men and women are equal counterparts equal human counterparts to one another and there is no positionality. So right. that's that's not only just, oh, that's my opinion or that's what I believe or that's my truth. That is the truth. Yeah. Take it to the bank. And I think people, what they want to do with equality is they want to say, we are the same in every sense. And I think that's where right when equal, when equality goes from meaning everyone is equal in value to equality, meaning that everyone is the same Right. That's when equality ruins individuality and ruins the majesty of womanhood and the majesty of manhood. Right. There, there, there is something amazing and spiritual and incredible and, and beautiful and wonderful about being a woman. And there is something in the same way, equally value wise, there are amazing, wonderful things about being a man. We are not to envy or, or covet the the things that are wonderful about womanhood, nor are we to envy or covet the things that are wonderful about manhood, um, if you're a woman, right? If you're a woman right. to a man, if you're a man to a woman. Um, but to say there is no difference and there is no distinction leads into a whole nother world of problems, which we will be talking about soon, um, both uh, in a message on, uh, on a Sunday and on this podcast, actually very soon, but we'll get back to you on that. Uh, hint, hint. Let's go. Let's go to another set of questions here. Um, good, could God create a rock so heavy he could not lift it? Goes along with um, can God sin? Can God sin? Um, basically, what what they're asking is, you know, if God can do anything, if He's omnipotent, all omnipotent, 
all powerful and he can do anything, then how come he can't sin? And how come he can't make a rock so big he can't lift it? And how come he can't microwave a burrito so hot he can't eat it? And those kinds of things. And, uh, you know, C.S. Lewis answers this question very clearly. And that is to say, you're talking about things that what we would call are intrinsically impossible. They carry their impossibility in the sentence. And so they're essentially saying nonsense. It's like saying, um, why can't a square be a circle? Well, because definitionally a square is a particular thing and a circle is a particular thing. Why can't God sin? Because definitionally God is holy and perfect. He can't do that, which can't be done. He can't, he cannot, God cannot do the intrinsically impossible. And people are like, oh, he can't do the impossible. I thought I could do the impossible. Listen, the impossible for you, like for me, for instance, it's impossible for me to lift the house that we're, that we're in right now, to get, go outside, pick up the whole house and let's Without any head. mechanisms. Right. Without, right. Just myself with my arms. It's impossible. My arms do not have the strength to do that. No, no amount of adrenaline pumped in my body is going to make me do it. It's impossible for me, but it's not impossible intrinsically. Right. Right. I could, I could find, use a lever big enough. I could move the world. Right. Um, I, I could, I could do it under certain circumstances for God. All of those things he can do. Everything that is possibly can do. But when you put together a nonsense sentence like square circle or God creating a rock so big that he couldn't move it, those are just strings of words together that have no meaning because they're because they are intrinsically impossible. They carry their impossibility inside, which makes them nonsense. Right. Um, and so it's not that God can't do something. It's that yes, God can't do nonsense any more than anyone can do nonsense. That's it just can't happen. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's the answer to the questions, uh, the questions that, that try to trick you know, try to find a, a clever way of saying, oh, well, God's not really all powerful because he can't make himself not all powerful. Ooh, yeah. burn. Yeah, no, that doesn't make sense. What you're saying is nonsense. Um, and, you, you know, Jesus made himself not all powerful. Maybe, maybe that's not totally right. Jesus but. did not exercise that. Man, that's a theological right, issue. Right. I'd love to get into yeah, that. That's a whole but to the extent, <laughs> to the, but, but there's no question that Jesus self-limited himself. Yeah. Um, chose to not know certain things. Not at the, let's say at the front of his mind. I, it's that's a very complicated one. I'd love to get into that, but we would need a whole nother podcast uh, to do that. So right. I'm going I'm to leave that one. So uh, we'll do one more question here. And this is an interesting one. It says, why should we worship God? Um, I'm going to let you struggle through that and then I'll give you the answer. Um, but go <laughs> ahead. Why, why should we worship God? Okay. Um, well, if God is who he is, then we are who we are. That sounds really deep, doesn't it? There's a couple of truisms. Right, there. right. If God is who he is, then we are created with a purpose and with his purpose and that purpose is to worship him. And if God is who he is, he is the only thing worth worship, our worship. But if you were to look at us, without looking at God, if you, you can completely deny the existence of God. You cannot deny that humans are intrinsically worshipers. We worship something or another. We worship uh, money. We worship um, ourselves. We worship... Um, our, our desire, something we are worshiping is, is intrinsic in the human, uh, psyche. If God is who he is, which is what you're getting there. <laughs> it's Keep a, it's a tautology. Uh, if God is who he is, he is the most worthy and only worthy thing of our worship. Um, and we already know that we are created to worship something. And so here's the missing piece of that puzzle is, is God. Um, that's my answer. Yeah. That's not bad, Hunter. That's not bad. <laughs> that's, uh, I think that I'll add a, a, a lot of people track. Yeah, you drop your mic. Don't drop your mic. Those are expensive. Yeah. Um, I think that, that you are, you have described essentially, uh, accurately. Let me, let me, let me back up a little bit. Let's go back a couple thousand years and look at philosophy and, and ethics and and because when you say why should we that that would be the same as why ought we why is there an ought right an ought is something that you are supposed to do mm -hmm. that you 
should do that you so I ought not to steal your wallet right I ought not to do that it's not just yeah he pushed it over to me I'm like, yeah, well, um, that's not really stealing if you hand it to me right right um, I'm gonna keep that there. but I know what I pay you so there's not it's not worth it right, um, right. I ought not to steal your wallet that's when I say that I'm saying something more than I prefer not to or that you would prefer that I don't. I'm saying that there's something outside of both of us that is that is determining um, or binding me that to not do that thing, and that if I do it, I am breaking with that thing, right? So regardless so, if there's a law to stop you, from right? Doing. Regardless of what the humans have made a law, there is a natural law. It's God's law. It it ought to be. It flows from the nature of the universe. So some people would call this natural law, right? There there are things that we ought to do and ought not to do. And is, that, is that something that Christians, do they oh, refer yeah. to natural law or do sure. non-Christians as well refer to natural law? Both both Christians and non-Christians um, have recognized natural law as a concept. Now, unbelievers who don't believe in God don't recognize law of any kind, right? Other than, other than power, essentially, okay. that people can get together. And look, law is just a will to power for those who don't believe in God, because okay. obviously they're, they're, everything, you're just a meat sack that's been put here. Um, it's, it's all random chance anyway. And so all you could all you could have is power, that enough people get together and say, we prefer not murdering. So we'll make that rule and then we'll enforce okay. it by whatever. Okay. So that's a totally different podcast. Um, but when we talk about what's right and what we ought to do, real oughts, the things that, that most human beings who are not yeah, let me not go there right now. But most most human beings think that there are things we ought not not to do. Well, when we go back in philosophy to, or to early on, don't don't fall asleep on me here. This is important. We go early on. We see even those who are unbelievers, the the Plato's, the Aristotle's, the Socrates of, of the world, um, that were this is pre Christ, is several hundred years before Christ, mm -hmm. recognized that the good person, the good person, in other words, the person who was doing the oughts the things they ought to do, should recognize the well-made works of God and man, okay? That, that the better you are, the more that you are doing what you ought to do, the more that you are becoming who you are supposed to be, the better you should be able to recognize and give praise to the good things. So when you and I drive on 14, we've talked about this before, and we see Mount Hood. Mm-hmm. A, the good person is moved by that, right? Okay. The, if you're not moved by that, it doesn't mean you're horrible and sinful. It just means that there's a defect that you need to get, that you, that you need to work on and get right because you ought to recognize what is one of the magnificent works of God. And that if you're, if you're not recognizing the goodness of it and giving it its due, giving God his due for that work, you're actually, there's something, there's something that's not working right. Right. And or if you look at a great, uh, a great piece of art mm -hmm. or a building that was that was well designed. OK, whatever it is. And you can't look at that thing and say it's good. And there's praise that is due to the maker of that thing. Then you're making a mistake. Now, take that all the way up. It is right. It is our it is reasonable that we ought to recognize the greatest thing in the universe and give, who's God, and give God his due, which is worship. Okay. Romans 12, uh, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, let's walk through this in terms of what I just said. Okay. You're, you are, you are presenting your body as a living sacrifice. That's an act of worship, mm -hmm. right? Sacrifice is an act of worship, holy and acceptable to God, because that's reasonable that based on what what's happened in chapters one through 11 of Romans here and talking about God and who he is and so on, that because of that, that the reasonable thing for a human being to do is to worship God so much so that you would present your body a living sacrifice that that is, that's just what makes sense. Right. That's that's what you ought to do, because it is because it flows from the nature of what God has created. And then it talks about not being conformed to the world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's just like what I'm talking about. You see Mount Hood 
and you don't recognize it, well, if you want to recognize the beauty in it and enjoy that and give the due to God that he did, then your mind has to be transformed to the extent necessary to see it so that you do what's reasonable and give worship. So that may seem like a really uh, philosophical and dry way of, of looking at why we worship God or why we should worship God. But the reason that we should worship God or we ought to worship God is because it is the most natural state of affairs for the for the created works of God, that's us, mm-hmm. to recognize the creator, who he is, what he's done, and give him his due. Not because he needs that from you. God does not need you or anything. Right. He does not need that. But it is but he wants you to do it not because it makes him feel good. That has nothing to do with it. Um, I don't know whether it makes him feel good or not, but if it makes him feel good, it makes him feel good because it's his created person, his this human, this man or this woman that he's created or this child that he's created doing what they ought to do, what flows, what what's what the naturally reasonable thing is for them to do. And that itself is good. Right. Right. When God made the world, what did he say about it? That it was good. He recognized even in his own works that he that it was good mm-hmm. and he ought to. We know he ought to because he did. If God did it, you know he ought to do it. He ought to recognize that, even in himself. He ought to recognize that what he did was good, as we ought to recognize what's good. Does that make sense? Yeah. All right? Yeah, good job. You got anything else to add there? Um, yeah, just... I, I was just thinking of making a metaphor for this. Um, it's like you go to a museum, and you see a painting, and if it is... It is... And especially since it's, you know, at a museum, um, it is your natural, the natural and right response is for you to appreciate that, that painting. And if you don't, that means probably you don't understand something. You're right. probably missing something right. from the picture that um, is not the painting's fault. It's your fault. Right. Assuming that it is indeed a good work. Right. Which is not yeah. always the case. Right. Assuming that what you're that what you're experiencing is actually a good work, a, a, a good and powerful work, something that is that is showing you something that's true. Right. And you're seeing it, and you're not seeing what's true, and you're not seeing whatever. You either have not create, you have not developed, transformed your mind such that you have developed the ability to see and understand that thing, mm-hmm. um, or there's some other flaw. Right in in the way that that you are what that you're still needing more transformation. Now I can tell you right now, you could put a thousand pieces of art, or even I'll say some pieces of nature that ought to have a response elicited from me, and that I wouldn't because I'm not perfect yet, and my mind right. is still being transformed. And so um, I would I would miss as quickly as a lot of people that I would look at one thing that was actually garbage art it's and like be you, like, oh, that's cool, and right. look at something else and be like, I don't see it at all, and that's on me. Like why you don't appreciate classical music if you don't. I do, but yes, there are people who don't appreciate classical music and not all classical music is good. Just because it's called classical doesn't mean that it is, but the great works of Bach and Beethoven and so on, there's a reason why they've been appreciated for hundreds of years. It's not, and it's not, uh, and if you don't appreciate it, that doesn't mean it's not good anymore. It means you don't have the necessary capacity. um, Yeah. And I think experience Mm -hmm. and knowledge. Right. And some things are an acquired taste, to be fair. And that's what we're talking about. You're talking about transforming yourself. The same thing with food. Right. Like there's some food that it like just I don't like coffee. Right. Because I haven't acquired You haven't that acquired taste. that taste, right? And and there's no and there's no need that you must do so. Right. It's not like there's an ought about that. Like you should right. acquire a taste for coffee. So you don't need to have coffee. Some people would beg to differ. Yeah, well, I, I there are there are neutral things in this world, right. right? There are things that you can enjoy if you choose to enjoy, and if you don't, that's fine too, right? To him who eats, let him do it to the Lord. To him who doesn't eat, let him do it to the Lord. I, I got no problem with any of that. But when you if you said coffee is bad. That's where you'd be making a mistake because what's happened there is you have not been able, you have not yourself developed the ability said, to understand it. If I said coffee is gross and people who drink it are dumb, then I would be. That's a whole, yeah, now you're going to a whole nother level. Well, no, no, but I'm just saying, I think, I think there's some room to, I'm just saying coffee might not be the best thing for you to drink right now is what I'm the only descriptive statement you could give about coffee that would be true and would not be a violation of what we're talking about would be to say, I don't prefer coffee. What if I could say, I think coffee is unhealthy. 
If you had evidence for that, sure. Right. Okay. okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's that's more of a scientific this kind of, statement. This is where the metaphor starts to break down. Well, I no, guess. but I know. I mean, that's more of a scientific statement about about health, and there's a lot of factors that go into that. Right. Uh, what if it What if it shortened your life by six months, but made the eighty nine years of your life that you did have much more enjoyable? What's healthy, right? Right. right. Or eighty nine and a half. <laughs> that what's more healthy there? Okay, so there's a lot that goes into something like that. Factors that you really don't know. Nevertheless, maybe coffee is healthy, maybe it's not. But if it is in fact good, mm-hmm. which it is, then your you would have a duty to do one of two things: either because it's neutral, just not mess with it at all, yeah. and and make a descriptive statement like "I don't prefer it," or develop your taste for coffee as we should be transforming our minds, not about coffee, but rather to understand God, who He is, what He's made. And we'll leave it with that. I'm going to pray and we'll uh, we'll see you next time. Father, thank you for all the things you have made. Help us to have our minds transformed. Lord, let us present our bodies a living sacrifice, Lord. Not not doing those things that we're just tempted to do with the, the own lusts of our flesh, Lord. But rather that we would sacrifice that, that we would show self-discipline, that we might have our minds renewed and not conform to this world that we might see more and more the well-made works that you have made, that even the well-made works that your people have made. And Lord, let us enjoy one another. Let us, let us live in joy. Let us be willing to be pleased. Help us not to be down at this next week. Help us not to, to uh, focus on the negative. Help us not to revel in the bad things that are happening, but rather look to all the joyous things that you've given us. Lord, I pray that each person right now would take stock of all the blessings in their life and not constantly look at the things that are negative. Lord, I pray that we would just have a good week in you because you have done so much and so much good. And rather than questioning the the suffering that we have, Lord, I question why anything good would happen. Why? Who are we that you would think about us? And yet you do. And yet you send your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us and rise again, showing us that death has been defeated and that we will not have to suffer the second death, um, but that rather we're going to be with you. And we thank you for that, Lord. I pray for those who are sick, for those who are hurting, for those who are financially strapped, going through those kinds of things, Lord. Uh, for those, I've got a cousin who's who's about to give birth to twins early. I pray you'd be with, with her and, and, and her husband and their family. I pray you'd be with others in, that, in those kinds of situations, Lord. I pray you'd be with um, those who are listening right now who just need to feel your presence, Lord, who these questions are great to be answered, but really there's just a hurting in their heart and they just need to feel your touch. I pray that you would do that and that you would show all of us how much you have done for us in your name. Amen.